Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Welcome to Insurance Unplugged, AI in the City. We are so excited to kick off this episode with guest Rory Yates, Chief Strategy Officer, EIS. All right, Rory, I am so excited to finally have you on Insurance Unplugged. You and I banter back and forth on LinkedIn. I'm sure people are like, could y'all stop talking to each other? No, I'm joking. It's one of those things where you're drawn to people who challenge your way of thinking and amplify some of the things that you're wondering, like, how does that actually work? In that mode, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone here, including your role at EIS? First of all, Lisa, I just want to echo some stuff back. I mean, yes, it's been amazing talking to you over this past sort of 18 months. You're more than a thought leader in this industry, I think. For me, you're clearly the top voice for 2023. Um, and this podcast is just an example of that. You're pushing out stuff that really makes a difference. And it's like having a free advisor online sometimes. It's fantastic. Um, and, and as a strategist in EIS, uh, I always say this, but I'm not sort of a McKinsey strategist, right? I just, I'm somebody who spends all of his time in the market, talking to customers, talking to prospects, hopefully talking to people like you and trying to figure out this, what this wonderful industry is trying to do next and how maybe our piece of software and what we're doing could, could support that. And, and that's really that's really where the planning cycle sits for me in between those two things. Well, I love that. And well, first of all, I'm very, very honored that you said that. But the, the thing that I love about what you're saying is the reason, why, not many people have asked me this yet. So the reason why I named it AI in the City, of course, it was a little bit of a play on Sex in the City, not the, the show and what the topic was, but she wrote it from the streets of, her life and her experience. And so I think to your point, Rory, about not being McKenzie, like not being the PowerPoint, I mean, this great research reports, right? But what you and I are talking about is a lived experience and in the trenches lived shared experience, which is one thing I try to amplify and spotlight on this podcast is it's great to have the pretty PowerPoints. Sure, we, we all like visually aesthetic pleasing summaries, but the real lived experience of how insurers are handling change, transformation, you know, it's the conversations that you and I both know are happening, but no one wants to go up on stage and talk about because they're like, oh, somebody is going to pull me off that stage if I have this conversation. And so I love the fact that um, I've been given this amazing platform to have those conversations where someone's like, did they actually just say that? Yes, they did. Because you and I know that that's the actual conversation going on. And so I love the fact that in your role at EIS, and I mean, you and I started interacting, gosh, I guess it was like at the beginning of COVID when I was like, wait, there's this like core engine thing. I was like trying to solve for this in my other role. And then of course that relationship is just, and I think I got the queen of Cortex somehow, like Anthony Grosso was gracious enough to give me that title. But let's dive in because- I think like where you and I would have started on this journey, which is like, hey, you know, we need a core engine. And then we're always talking about like APIs. I'm like, APIs were table six like eight years ago. What what is anybody talking about? Um, But, you know, now it's really fascinating because now we've got this like 
bigger shiny ball, disco ball, which is AI. But I really believe in the core of that ball is actually something that's useful. And I was listening to another one of our influencers last night, maybe say that like LLMs aren't useful. And I was like, you know, I kind of disagree given how language intense our industry is. So, so let's break it down. So much misinformation, which is what, what we're leading to. Can you tell our listeners for you what AI is in its various forms, what it isn't, and what you believe a realistic view of the sector's use of AI and its development can be? I think I've got a really kind of naff high level definition for AI. I think it's it's a spectrum of stuff, right? But I think really it's when the machine is the machine is doing things that we would otherwise feel that a human would do, right? Wouldn't ordinarily do. Which is why it breaks down into three broad buckets for me. One is automation, and that's programmatic. It's using various technologies that are highly available today to do things uh, that that we don't need to do. That, that frankly are administrative tasks that are better off done by the machine, more accurate, more available. It creates real capacity in the organisation. There's this middle bucket which I tend to think of as sort of machine learning, where the machine helps you optimise some of that stuff. So it's it's, it's a semi-intelligent human interact human led interaction still that is enabling you to do the same and then there's this new bucket of deep learning technologies llms you know various sort of uh, spe- spectral of technologies that really are uh, or have the capacity but don't actually yet do do this actually we tend to talk like they do but they don't but they have the capacity to to, to as i said emotional emotionally reason uh, and that will make them very very different because that that means that they can start performing human tasks that are perhaps in the, in, in the sort of gray space of things that we would probably want more control over than that we would normally allow somebody else or something else to to do for us um and and then i think there's a there's a bunch of underlying um misconceptions to your to your question you know uh, about this i mean i think we've faced this challenge throughout machines and humans uh you know and often people refer to the last industrial revolution as a justification for this one they're very different right one of the yes. things people somebody said to me the other day is that they're there was no kind of loss of jobs. Look at the net growth of jobs. And actually, if you look at the actual S-curve, there was a loss of jobs and there was a loss of life, actually, as a result of a lot of the Industrial Revolution. Where we're at now is we, we should be cleverer and smarter and better at the way we apply technologies. And so when I when, when you look at that and think about, well, we're replacing the human tasks that we might otherwise like to do, um, I tend to think of freeing human capital. I tend to think of I've got a, a great claims adjusting team that I'm now freeing to do things that will allow them to make our product better so that they're not adjusting for those claims outcomes that support these ambitions we have around risk mitigation because they've got all this knowledge, right? They've got all this understanding. And, and those tasks are still something that machines would struggle with and that we would want human interpretation. So actually, you know, we've got an opportunity to bring this workforce into this new, new phase and, and allow them to bring even more value. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about what you said. So I spent, um, you know, you and I, have, it's funny, I think we've both studied a lot of the same things, which is the, you know, industrial revolution, the, this digital revolution and era. And one thing to me that's so interesting that you, you and I, I think both subscribe to is that the industrial revolution was really to commoditize production. Like, how do we make production wash, rinse, and repeat, which which fascinatingly, we'll talk about this in insurance in a minute with AI, because I'd love to talk to you about this. Um, it created a sense of framework, of hierarchy, of linearity. I mean, you and I often talk about this. 
And the goal was to optimize, like, how do we make what is produced better as we machine it, right? Like as we create the machinery production, that was very much, to your point, replaced a lot of jobs of physical labor with machines. But this digital revolution, one of the things I think people miss, and I I did a Oh gosh, I did a thing at Capgemini maybe three years ago, which was called the metamorphosis from the linear to the nonlinear. Because the one thing that I don't think people have digested or processed is that we're not trying to just make things incrementally better and optimize, which is where we've been for the last 50 years. We're really trying to reinvent the possibility of breaking down the verticalization and linearization that we had to subscribe to in the former world with now this coalescence. So one thing that would that I think is interesting is your point about claims and underwriting, which human decisioning is always going to be very important. But we had to have these very discrete, separate functions, forms, this linearity. With AI as like a linchpin, if you kind of think about it like that, we could create more circularity. And if you think about risk, right, like human risk and risk in and of itself is dynamic. And, and the, oh, the main difference between underwriting and claims is that the risk occurs in one event and the risk is being evaluated for its occurrence in the other, meaning they're basically, in my mind, the same function. How do you think about AI helping us reinvent, not just make something better? I think I think you've hit the nail on the head with that whole linear. I think I remember reading that, by the way, Lisa. Just <laughs> I said it a I'm lot, Rory. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're all, you're all over everything. Um, uh, I think that, that you've hit the nail on the head, really. I think we had this value chain mindset. We still have it in insurance, right? We still uh, ma- maximize profits and maximize distribution in that value chain model. And we do think of that assess risk, price risk, distribute distribute product, right? But actually, the, the real transformation that's happening is that we're moving into the ecosystem world. Um, and the part of that is, as you say, because we realize that for me, I, I talk about, uh, I call this the DNA of the ambitious insurer, but there's five yeah. things that are really driving that, which is risk mitigation, embedding, which is not embedded like embedded finance for me. It's embedding it into our lives, right? Making, and all these things come together. Intuitive. Right, to it's not known Intuitive, discreetly. Intuitive, right. real time in my life, adjusting and adapt. And then this is the third one, adaptive. And um, and then human centric and and I think carbon neutral, right? We have to have this 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 principle. And these are the five. If you put them on a DNA strand, the reality is the the thing that makes that DNA possible. The the thing that connects those strands is is data. And the ecosystem driver businesses for me are the just companies that are able to maximize their, their knowledge of a customer and their ability to act on it. And as you say, in this more circular model, right, where, where Value is not just distributed linearly or in a value chain. It's, it's, it's circular. It becomes something that we share. We optimize together. And, and, we, and that's all going to be fueled by knowledge, right, and, and the ability to act on it. So I always talk about data as a perishable asset. And this is where AI comes in because and where AI has already come in. I mean, we're, we're in this hype curve at the moment. But actually, you know, as you said, APIs are you know, proliferated <laughs> eight years ago, but we still talk about them. <laughs> In many ways, the, the technologies that we talk about in AI, other than the, the, the deep learning models, which have, have been in the lab for, yeah. for, for five or six years, you know, we, we've still been facing the same thing. And the enabler to ecosystem is, is going to be fueled by greater degrees of intelligent orchestration, you know, that ability to act on data. And that's vital to insurance. You know, it needs to yeah. move out of price-led markets into value-led markets. And that model has got to shift. I, I could not agree more. And I think... 
I think one of the things that we as an industry sometimes struggle with, which is why we can be viewed and, 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 you know, you and I clearly are not in this camp. And I think the reason why I love our network so much is that those of us that really understand insurance, it's not easy to evangelize and create the Gatorade moments of electrolytes around what can be seen as a rather unfulfilling, boring, you know, a lot of people view us as a no industry, like a gotcha industry. But one of the things that you hit on to me is so important because our customers don't care about our org structures. They don't care about, you know, underwriting versus claim versus risk. What what they care about at the end of the day is that they have this intuitive experience that feels natural to them as a human. And in my mind, two things are really helping unlock that at the next level. Because, you know, even when we first went digital, you know, I'm, off, I'm also quoted very, I'll own this one. I could trademark it. We went digital and we called it, to me, it was like insultingly intelligent. Like as a human, as a human, I'm like, please don't put me on this journey or this path or whatever this is, like opt out, operator, reception, get me out of the loop. And to me, the combination of AI and what's really leverageable now is the combination of digital, of linguistics, of now interacting with me kind of at the level that I think. And I'm not saying making decisioning, but it's it's if we string it together properly, and that requires a lot of strategy. I'll ask you about that in a moment. It's not just a point solution. Let's go after this little thing. If we if we weave a tapestry together properly, the consumer can now feel this thing that's intuitive, which at the end of the day, what we're after is to not have that person that we've given a promise to feel that in honoring our promise, it was counterintuitive or broken in the way we interacted with them. How do you feel? Because I love the fact that you work in technology, that you have this worldly global view that you have the ambitious insurer and that you're a strategist because I think all too often people come into a, I got to prove value, got to show the ROI, which I agree with former CFO. I get it, but I don't believe in fragmented point solutions because to me, I'm like, show me how your tapestry is being woven. Rory, how do you see that playing out? And what is your advice to people if they're starting to think through deployment of AI, machine learning, et cetera? I think it's vital, isn't it? You know, the AI stuck on top of really bad foundations is it, not going to do it very much at all, right? It's like we've we've seen this, as you said before, many, many times. It's like sticking UX digital front ends on really bad experiences that it, it frankly just it frankly just doesn't work. We've got to get past that. But actually, AI relies on it because it's going to need all that data. It's going to need the right foundation. So it's going to need the ability to then act on it so it's going to need the, to, to, to reach all of its roi cases it's going to need the ability to, be able to put that value back into the world and that will happen that that's really going to occur I, again i go back to data as a perishable asset and being able to act on it it most data is only really really valuable very close to real time that's the same right. in insurance and then the advantage of that as well is with this other problem we have in insurance is we have this only until the moment of a claim, you never really see the value of insurance, but it's always there. You know, we we are not we're not capable of driving our cars without it. We're not capable of opening the door of our offices and our commercial buildings and running them. You know, we couldn't even take the risks associated with air conditioning ducts blocking and the fire risks. You know, enabling all of this, we don't see that value because it's done in a linear, as you said, a linear way. But when it's actually all around us, 
and insurers are intelligently orchestrating it, helping us intelligently orchestrate all of that risk, we will feel that value all the time. And that's the real, that's the really exciting bit about AOC. So that's the human bit, right? The bit where we know that the um, the repair guy for a commercial building, uh, telling them what risks to prioritize and what to fix and maintain in a building, which is the sort of use case we're actually seeing today. It's so exciting where you know, we have these use cases in commercial property where we're not fixing a photocopier, we are fixing an air conditioning duct because we know it's going to it's going to lead to a fire risk. You know, this is intelligent and insurers orchestrating that are demonstrating huge amounts of shared value in the world. The way that you get there, which is your your question, is incredibly hard. And it's it's a combination for me of re- realizing that there is no safe ground anymore in, in terms of point solutions. Those cases yeah. might still win you an award but they are, they're not changing your business model. We're not seeing dramatic shifts in ratios or indemnity or you know, these things are hard fought and they come from uh, a combination of bringing lots of technologies together. And there's this other reality of, of, of AI, which is as it's, as it's so sophisticated and as it begins to be applied to so many different um, uh, ecosystems around the insurer, you're going to have to be able to interoperate. You know, this modular producer idea that you're not just going to have the control of your own ecosystem, you're going to have to interoperate in a lot of yeah. others. If you want to make a repair network more intelligent and better, capable of actually returning me as a customer a bunch of options that might fit my life in different ways, whatever that scenario is, that's going to require you to have to interoperate with an awful lot of other ecosystems. And so that that's an enterprise design change for insurance businesses today. It's a as I said, it's an increase in knowledge of the customer, but it's a massive business model shift from a value chain business to one that entirely values uh, a customer, not just a policy-based risk. This promise, as you call it, I love you use that term, right? If we give these people this lovely promise, and then we really just hope they don't ever you know, call us up on it, right? That's the, that's the reality of our business model. And it doesn't work because they are going to call us up on it. That's why we, that's why we exist, right? We create that value. Um, and, and we just don't, as I say, we just don't participate in their lives in a way that means that we show that value all the time. Um, and yeah, mindset gets in the way in insurance an awful lot. And I know Emma Roloff, our, fr- our friend, I mean, she does a great job because actually constantly referring to that is really, really important. You know, this it, it, we need a fundamental mindset shift to really understand that enterprise design transformation is required really to then unlock all the other value uh, of these of these insure techs and new data sources and you know, uh, as I say, distributed value chains that sit around insurance, you know, that's, that's where all the opportunity sits. We share, we share huge, huge, huge appreciation for Emma and all the work she does on changing mindset and education. And, um, you know, you said a couple of things that really, really deeply resonated. One is this, um, you use the word distributed, right? Like, I think that everything is going to become distributed. So our architecture, um, the way we think about AI is going to be distributed. Gone are the days where we, for lack of a better word, you know, organized, conglomerated, ETL, brought everything to one place and then did it. Um, first of all, we can't afford to do it. Like the OEM providers of telematics are already showing us that, right? Like all the data we have in our cars, it would be like any one car provider would be hundreds of millions a year just to to move that data into a common place. So we're seeing federated, we're seeing increases in learning capabilities with um, accuracy of federated learning models. We're seeing sustainable machine learning, green machine learning, green AI, right? So we, we can take all these concepts, but the thing for me that's still broken is that many organizations appropriately approach something from a use case perspective, which I agree with. But what happens is, 
they approach it from a use case perspective, more on a POC trial and error, learn, get it. But that and there are, you know, in the ambitious insurer and some other levels, I do see people saying, but you need an enterprise strategic lens to your AI operating model, your distributed strategy with AI and your technology. And then that I call it like the, I'm a I'm an old school accountant CFO. So like we used to call it completeness, top down, bottom up approach. <laughs> like right, like we came from the top down and we came from the bottom up. And I think what's missing or that I see missing so far, Rory, is that we have one or the other, but I don't see the join. So I'd almost call it the completeness of the AI strategy. Are you seeing any really good use cases or people that are taking that? And I don't just mean like, oh, we've got an AI strategy because clearly everyone will say they have an AI strategy, right? This is the, we get to be real on this show. An AI strategy is not having a PowerPoint, people. It's like that we have a group of people rolling up their sleeves and connecting that distributed framework, architecturally, business strategy, functionality, all the way to your vendors, to your point, and then back up. What are you seeing in that area? I'm so curious to hear. Very, very little, Lisa. Um, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right, right. We're still in a, we're still in a, we're in a, we're in a protract. I think AI is a, in a big collision with a sort of protracted transformation tipping point that we've been going through for for some time. I mean, I've sort of got this falling out of love, falling back in love with insurance history. I come in, we, I run a business. Uh oh, it's we, about we, to be Valentine's. Are you about to break up with insurance? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. I always feel like I'm going to, but then I always sort of stick around or come back. Right? It's just like a. But but um, I really do believe this time we've got we've got no excuse, but we've got to face that reality that you've just described. That you know, uh, uh, I still see a lot of POCs when I, I I go, what are you proving? And then and really, no one can articulate a proof, right? I'm proving that AWS can do cloud. You're like, cool. I think they've I think they might I think they've mastered that. that. Already, right? <laughs> I, you know, or I'm 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 proving some value. Then actually, honestly, the hypotheses aren't particularly complicated, as you said. They, you know, especially when they sit in POC world, it's fairly value chain driven, right? So you're like, but that's, but you would understand that if you intermediated that value better, you would improve it. You know, you know that you're not really proving that concept. There's not, there's very little POCs go on in insurance, and the reason why is because, as you said, I think what we're really trying to do, what what most people are really trying to do in that innovation space, if they take AI into their business on a on a, a very narrow use case. They're really just testing the system at low, low enough risk and a low enough capital cost to work out yeah. if it's got any legs, got any chance. And what you're just going to find out, and we found out, I think, a lot, right? We had this five years ago, everyone had a garage, an innovation garage or a massive oh, yeah. huge, huge amounts of capital behind it, right? But very little value came, come, came out of that. There's some great cases, of course there are, but and we've got wonderful people in this industry and they will always find a way through. But they're fighting against the fact that their organizations and the underlying foundations of the technology they sit on haven't made that that sort of leap leap forward and one of the reasons that i think you and i could reason that they do that is the level of complexity in the insurance business model i honestly as a strategist sit there sometimes and wonder how we have insurance businesses at all right they're so (laughs) they they are fascinatingly complicated you sat there in your function and i've never sat there looking at that whole stack all of the time right i couldn't i mean honestly sometimes i just think how have we got insurance at all it's a miracle. It's it's incredibly complicated. It's truly but, one of the reasons why I'm in love with it because it's such a simple, but like everyone thinks it's so simple because our fundamental business model is, if you think about it, but it's so design complicated 
that I'm always trying to figure it out. And I was, you're making me think like last night, I was trying to explain to an entrepreneur who wanted to start a business, how to set up a reinsurance company. <laughs> and the eyes glaze over <laughs> like mine, Mind like blood. what? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's just like, that's just like table stakes, you know? But to your point, and I love, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the great collision because I'm, I'm queuing in on, on where you're going. I, I love seeing your signals and, and knowing where you're going with this. The reason why you need, I, I want to use the word applied strategy, because I think a lot of people think of strategy as McKenzie, no disrespect, PowerPointism, things yeah. that like, oh, must be nice to have the luxury of strategy. I'm talking like, <laughs> you don't build a car and put it on the highway unless you know how it's actually going to run, where it's going to go, how does it operate? And I think it takes people that can take that complexity that have been, been immersed in it for so long, that that complexity is not intimidating to them. And I guess the other thing, Rory, I think a lot of insurance professionals are longitudinal, meaning they can go really deep, but they don't go wide. And I think we need more latitudinal. I've said this on a couple of podcasts with Brian Falchuk and some others. We need people like yourself that can go wide across the spectrum. So that's where strategy comes into me and are not intimidated by the complexity, right? Like how do you apply AI at that level? Are you seeing that? Like how are you seeing that with your clients? I think we need, I think we do need it. I don't know whether it's me, but I think we do need it, right? I've got this 3D principle, which I call demystify, democratize, deliver. So whenever we go into things, and this is right hot for AI, you just hit that car analogy, which I used recently in a press interview. So you might see it coming out. Uh, I love it. And it's not even credited to me. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But AI AI is very similar. If I came along and said, like, we didn't have any cars, right? They didn't exist. But I turned around to you and said, Lisa, I've got this great idea and I've built it and I'm going to distribute it to millions of people. And it's, it's this thing called a car. And you're going to go, fantastic, what does it do, right? It could get you anywhere really quickly. It's your own personal transportation device. You have to sit with all these other people. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it goes 155 miles an hour. And and, and I just sort of said, look, that's the steering wheel. That's the accelerator. There's the brake. Go, right? This is the where we're at right now with, with AI. You, you, you're not going to get very far before you, you crash. We haven't decided that you need a driving license. And that, that, that means you need some kind of understanding about how to operate that vehicle. You, you don't really understand the risks associated with there's no regulatory framework that sits around, around around that. So when I talk about the great collision, it's in two parts, right? It's in the fact that AI really is only possessed by a very small number of people. If you think relative to our industry, it's tiny. It's very noisy and it's got because it's got huge ROI cases behind it and a load of investment coming in right now. So it's very, very noisy. But there's there's probably only 50 people that you could genuinely say understand this topic sufficiently at enterprise scale. You know, yeah. there's There's many more experts that could tell you how to, I can inter- intermediate that claims process or that that specific area. But I say, if we're going to utilize those technologies, insurers actually need to know and be able to regulate that for themselves at, at scale, right? So, you know, I because the regulators will come to them, and this is what I call about the great collision this year. You know, regulation is going to catch up. There's no way that they're not going to turn around to insurers and say, you've got, to, you're still accountable for what that's doing. You can't just tell me you've done your due diligence on the technology selection, you perhaps understand the data sources going into that AI model. Whatever decision it's making, whether it's hallucinating or not, it's going to be <laughs> you're, still, you're still going to be accountable for that, right? So, so we're going to see this this sort of as you said, you know, it's not the car the car thing. We're not just going to, you can't just point at a car and say I'm going to I'm going to give you this vehicle and you've never seen it yeah. before. You're going to have to put some effort in. And so we've we've got that collision going on in the technology. That's not just insurance. That's across the across the board, right? 
there, there are too few people who genuinely understand this technology sufficiently to be able to apply it to industry. And then you've got insurance at the same time, as you said, where we sort of look at um, you know these things as a collection of boxes. And whenever we, and I have this problem when we talk about our microservices architecture because if someone in the insurance always draws a grid. And you're like, no, the, the advantage of this is, as you say, it's completely distributed. You know, we have mm-hmm. to have this interoperability, this interchangeability. Yeah. Insur- insurers should get to the place very soon where they should be turning around to AI providers and, and sort of, you know, doing this, you're like, you know, come on then. You you have to tell, uh, we've got all the technology in place. We've got all the data. You should be coming in and intermediate that process and you should be able to bring that value to me. And at the moment, we're still having to, they're still having to kind of draw the insurer across and the insurer's still got to decide to buy that value or not. And that's, that, that's because of where we're at with insurance. We've got to have that transformation occur in order to, to embrace AI. But the regulators are going to come in. I ask insurers today, are you using that AI open source or proprietary? They don't know. And then you're looking at uh, a COO thinking, well, if it's open source yeah. and you're not really clear that that's your, all your data flowing out in that kind of environment, you know, we don't even use, um, in this industry, we don't even have public cloud usage yet, you know, and yet we're... We're, we're somehow embracing all of this open technology and this open data fluidity. We've got to ask ourselves some really serious questions at this next stage, I think. Well, my, my favorite is all the, I'll call them the ambitious insurers that were like, okay, how do we get our people? Because everyone wants to use chat GPT. So we created like insert insurance company name dot GPT, right? So everyone created their own version of that. And to your point, there's, I, I think it's interesting so many levels how do we get people that understand this? And, and, and really, if you go back to the industrial revolution example that we started this conversation on, people have grown up, succeeded, been promoted, advanced by being hierarchical and longitudinal. There are very few people that have a latitudinal view and are comfortable. Like I think of like, AI and technology as like Latin as a language, meaning it's a root of all like across the spectrum. There are very few insurance technology linguistics that have Latin as a language. And if I were an ambitious insurer right now, and I was reporting to the board and I was going in, I was saying, how are we going to beat the competition, the macroeconomics, you know, all these things I would be identifying as a company, how many, and I'll use that Latin linguistics that we have, either we have a huge foundation of that or we better be going to market. Like I wouldn't be hiring. Uh, yes, you need AI specialists and this, that, and the other, but I would be hiring people that have a this cross-functional ling- linguistic, i.e. foundational understanding at a latitudinal level. Because I think, you know, Rory, if we took a bet right now and we, four, five years from now, you and I kind of, we, we open the bottle and we come back to this conversation. <laughs> I think the people that win in delivering this promise to the consumers will be the people that had that understanding and that amplified it beyond these point solutions. How do you think of this? So, because you gave your amazing, like five characteristics of the, you know, adaptable insurer, ambitious insurer. How do you think this parlays? Because you and I often discuss being dynamic and, and what does dynamic mean? I think you and I know that it means real time, all the time, never at rest, streaming, you know, risk decision. But, but also kind being of- able to adapt your business model, right? So I think that's where you and I, this is the bit you're talking about, right? Which is it, it spans everything. I think that's the truth. So saying you're adaptive or dynamic around a product or a particular 
linear value chain is one thing. But as we've just discussed, those POCs typically fail because they don't achieve sufficient scale. Insurance is quite a scale demanding business. You know, if you just disintermediate one part of claims and you're not able to proliferate that, it's, it's usually going to fail in the lab. So you need to do these things to operate at scale. And I think um, that, 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 that's why it's, it's sort of so interrelated, this, this topic, is that I, I think the adaptability quota, as I call it, so you've got IQ in insurance, we're an IQ I heavy like industry. But we, there's, a, there's a company um, based in Paul, actually, just down the road from where I live, that have um, actually established adaptability quota with a bunch of American universities as a, as a thing they can actually assess and quantify. My question to them, which I haven't answered with them yet, is how can you actually do that for an organization? Because I'd love to understand the adaptability quota of insurers today. Because as you say, because we have all these silos, we have all these brilliant experts within those silos, but we don't have people who can look at the entire picture and say, yeah, but this is an enterprise design challenge. If I'm going to play AI, I need to proliferate this properly. I need to be able to distribute that technology successfully. And I need a lot of people that can really understand that quickly. So I need individuals to have high adaptability quotas, but I need an organization. And as you say, most of this stuff, I think the coming back to the point where we come back to this in five years' time, those insurers that win big are going to be the ones with the highest AQ, the highest adaptability quota, and they are going to be driven by AI. I think in the next three years, we'll see a, a fairly significant emerging AI-led insurer, but they won't, they'll be led by that in technological and data terms, but they will, they'll, they'll, they'll be fundamentally different organizations. They will yeah. be much more fluid, data fluid, um, adaptive around that. They'll be able to build products. They'll, sorry, products won't exist. I, I, I really believe this. I don't think policy, I agree. policy will exist. So, products so and line, let's get rid of the line of businesses too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. Let's focus this on is, the this, human people. <laughs> yeah. And, and exactly. So, this is, comes back to that point about this is why I keep talking about, um, you know, the, the risk mitigating, adaptive, and human centric is actually kind of, and it's your point, circular. Yeah. It really does come together. Insurance are going to be distributing their value throughout our lives and throughout our businesses and things. And there will be an insurer, I'm very, because of AI, that comes out in the next two, three years that really is dominant and scaled around around that model. And as you say, that will be a fundamental different business. It will be, um, whenever the knowledge of a customer increases, their ability to act on it will be equal to their ability to actually fundamentally introduce new business models. And that's going to be the difference, right? Not new policies, not even introduced, you know, new risks to new customer bases, fundamentally different business models that can make that viable, um, and that's why we need this sort of scale change in, in insurance. I totally love that. And I hope that you and I will say we knew those people or we were somehow connected to those people because I'm so like, everyone's like, why do you stay in it? I'm like, to usher that in, right? On some level, like to be affiliated, connected, to see that dawn, you know, that sunrise come up is like, one of the things I am most passionate about, and I do agree with you. So if we, let's go to the flip side of this dawning of the new era. And I love your adaptability quote. I'm going to start using that instead of my linguistic Latin example. Love it. I'm stealing it shamelessly. Um, What would you ask people to stop? Because I always like to do a stop, start, continue. Just like a, you know, like what do you wish people would stop? What do you wish they would start and what do you wish they would continue? Um, kind of as our guests are taking away, like if they're taking notes, okay, everyone get your pens out. Rory said this. Cool, blimey. I mean, asking a strategy or something like that, what would, I, what, what would be the, one of the things that I would ask somebody to stop? I think we've got to, um, we have got to stop basing transformation on value chain 
based business models. So, you know, the ability to reduce costs and increase distribution is still fundamentally the issue, right? If we write negative, what I call negative business case, very easy to do in insurance because there is so much value in insurance. There's so much to just take that cost out or uh, maximize the distribution of that product. And those are killing our ability to really transform insurers to ecosystems. If you look at it, I liken it, uh, Lisa, to way back in the day when I was uh, starting out 26 years ago doing digital technologies, People used to write business cases for email over direct mail, as in the cost of sending a letter versus an email. <laughs> it killed the email industry for years, right? We, we, and actually, we're still suffering from it now, which is we just have these huge amounts of nonsense in our inboxes. But if someone wrote a business case and said, no, no, it's going to cost the same, but look at what we can do with email. Look at how much more personalized the communication could be. Look how much right. more real time we can put it into people's lives. There's huge amounts of, va- of upside value. Those business cases are hard to write. I get it, but they do exist. And they were, they, were, they were capable of being written 25 years ago. They're definitely capable of being written now. And yet most business cases are still, like I said, fundamentally driven by that reduce, reduce cost, maximize distribution uh, principle. So that's, that would be my stop doing that. Stop writing negative business cases. Start writing positive <laughs> ones. The industry's got so much value potential. Just, just sit there and think about it, right? That's my stop. <laughs> what was the other one? Continue. What, what do you like that people oh, are doing that they should continue? Continue being, continue being awesome. Like, I think you made this point and you, you said really a lot and it's really important. This industry does have fantastic, wonderful people. It is a, a hugely valuable industry. You know, we literally can't do any, most of the things. Human, de- human endeavor looks very different without insurance. It's why it's so vital we change it because we need it. We, it's, not a, it's a necessity. It's not, it's not a nice to have industry. And people drawn into that industry typically are great people because of that. I believe that. I think it's naturally attracted the right kind of people. So we need to continue having that mindset and approach. We create huge amounts of human value. Humanity is changing and it's changing. It's right. The environment around us is changing. We're Yes, we're in control of that, but we've also got to adapt uh, to survive in, in many, many ways. And insurance will be increasingly critical to that, to that shift. So we've got to continue to do this. We've got to continue to be awesome. Um, I love that. And so what's your call to action start? I think I know, but what's your like, start doing this from this day forward? Everyone needs to listen to you a lot more. Um, (laughs) We need to, we need need that that genuinely would be, would be something I've recommended you so many times to people when they come in and stuff. I'm like, the first thing you need to do is go and listen to, to this person. And, um, no, I think, um, I think we need to. Well, sorry. What was the last one? I keep. I've, I've lost my train of thought. What was the? Let, no, no, no. I, I, you know, I just, continue. I just have that aura over you, Rory. No, I'm joking. It's the. What would you want people? What's your call to action? What would you want them to call, start? Uh, the big call to action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I think my call to action is that we've we've got to start. We've got to start thinking ecosystem first, right? So, um, you know, and I know that that's selfish because our, our technology really is just an ecosystem enabling piece of kit that sits in the middle of lots of other brilliant stuff. And that's what we do. We enable that. And I think insurers, if you thought ecosystem first, a lot of value would be a lot easier to get to than you think. And as I said, it's much more, it's reversing the insurance process. You're looking at, it's funding and fueling so many other industries. You get the opportunity then to turn around to them and say, how much value can we create together? You tell me, you know, if, there, if there's something, if there's some way I can be more valuable or you can be more valuable, you come and tell me you're an expert in repair management or you're a, you're excellent at this. Come and tell us because we've got the, the tooling, the business model, and we've got the dynamic data fluidity that we need to make that possible. And the, at the moment, we're trying to solve all the problems for ourselves. So we thought like an ecosystem, 
you know, we have the customer, we have, we have a lot of knowledge in this industry, vastly more than I've seen in whenever I've done e-commerce projects or transformations in sport, you know, we have a huge amount of knowledge. So if we could proliferate that in our, in our interactions with the world um, and be ecosystem first, I think we would solve a lot more problems. I love that. So first of all, ecosystem first. Yes. Amplify that. Adaptability quota. I love that too. I, I'm going to trademark that one. And I mean, Rory, like you and I could go on forever. I am so honored that you were able to join me today on Insurance Unplugged. I know our guests, first of all, thank you for advocating for people to listen to me, but it's people like you and others in this industry that I, you know, tap into when I'm bouncing ideas. I'm like, hey, do you see this too? How do we think about this? And it's the alignment of, you know, these these true caretakers of the industry that to me bring the momentum that's necessary to change this. So I'm truly honored that you were joining me today. I know our guests are going to get so much out of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And until next time, thank everyone for listening to another episode of Insurance Unplugged AI in the City with guest Rory Yates. Thank you. Thank you so much. Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Thank you.